0: Okay, Frelinch uh, and Hanukkah. We have the uh, privilege of Shabbos of reading Parshas Miketz, a Parsha near and dear to my heart. As a bunch of years ago, I read it when I was a 13 year old boy. Oh. So, uh, okay, okay. So I'm, not, I'm not sponsoring any kidders, so don't get, too, don't get too excited. Okay, so let's do as we always do an overview of the Parsha. And then we will delve into and dissect the uh, specific psukkim we're going to look at this week. So, the parsha, these, these parshiyos are amazing, unbelievable cliffhangers in terms of the narrative, the storyline that flows from one parsha to the next. So, we left off, we last left off, our hero, our protagonist, we last left off in the parsha. Yosef is in prison. He overhears the Sarah uh, Ofim and Sarah Mashkim. He doesn't overhear them. It's actually remarkable because Yosef cares enough to say, What's going on? You seem down, despondent. Can I lift your spirits? Chazal make a a great point from here that geula comes, redemption comes. If you think about the redemption that came from Mitzrayim, ultimately because Yosef cared enough to inquire to the well-being of others. Rabeinu Bachai and others point this out. He could have. He had every reason, sitting in that prison cell, to keep to himself. He had every reason to focus on his own pain, his own suffering, his own isolation. He had every reason to be withdrawn. But he doesn't. He's, over, he's listening in. He overhears. He sees their struggle. And he says, you guys seem pretty down. What can I do to lift your spirits? They say, well, actually, we've had these bad dreams. No problem. i know how to interpret them. Tell me what it is. And one thing leads to another, including his own redemption. He would still be sitting in prison if not for the fact that he cared enough to say, what's the matter? How can I help you? There's a tremendous lesson in that. So that's the end of last week's Parsha. He overhears. And our Parsha begins with the dreams. Dreams, dreams, dreams. Paro has these dreams. He has uh, two dreams about the fat cows and the thin cows, the fat stalks and the thin stalks. The thin eat the fat and they don't even gain any weight. And he wakes up and he inquires from all of his chartumim, he inquires from all of the magicians and sorcerers and dream interpreters and Diane Warwick and everyone in Mitzrayim. And nobody's able to satisfactory, in a satisfactory way, interpret the dreams. And then all of a sudden the Sarha mashkim speaks up. He says, you know, Eschatai ani maskir hayom. I'm, he's a little bit nervous to remind Paro that he was ever in prison, that he made a mistake to begin with. But as you know, I remember that there was a guy, he was pretty good. He interpreted a dream we had that night. So Paro summons Yosef, and Yosef shaves and gets dressed and comes. They have a fantastic dialogue, a great conversation back and forth, which we will speak about more momentarily. Yosef interprets Paro's dream. Paro is so moved that he appoints Yosef to be the viceroy, the, the vice president of all of Mitzrayim, the second in command, and he goes through some motions, including giving his ring, in order to signify and symbolize this tremendous appointment that Yosef has ascended to. And again, these are the 2nd we'll go back and delve into more in a moment. Yosef implements his plan in the fat years to save money, so that in the thin years there will be a plan and less than our great country would have done well to have observed itself. Yosef really is ahead of his time. Yosef yeah, is ahead of his time as an incredible economist. There are actually articles written on economic theory. Based on Yosef's understanding of economic cycles of saving, and so on and so forth. He's ahead of his time. Here in the heart of Mitzrayim, in the years of fat still, in the years of plenty, Yosef has two sons. We'll examine that as well. He names one Menasha and one Ephraim. The famine devastates Egypt, but no worry, because Yosef has saved. He has savings. And, uh, and that's how he is able to save all of Mithraim, the economy of Mitzrayim. At this point, our story now turns back up north to Israel, back on spotlighting Yaakov and his sons, The famine begins to be felt even in Eretz Kanaan, in Eretz Israel. Yaakov sends his sons to Egypt. We're going to die. But there's one place that has supermarkets that the shelves are stocked and that's Mitzrayim. The brothers come to Yosef. They bow down. What is that a fulfillment of? The dream. dream. It's a fulfillment of the dream. In fact, some say, we'll get to it, but when when Paro appoints Yosef, he gives him a new name, Tzafnas Paneach. Some say, why did he give him a name Tzafnas Paneach? We'll talk about what that name means. He's not called Yosef anymore. He has a new name. So some say it's to preserve Yosef's anonymity so that when the newspapers publish that this brilliant economist has saved Egypt, Yosef's identity is not revealed. The storyline could never have progressed the way it was intended from above. The divine... Foot, the divine uh, fingerprints on the story because the brothers would have known who Yosef was This whole his dreams never would have come through Yosef never would have tested them about Binyam and they never would have proven that they've learned their lesson so Yosef's anonymity needs to be preserved and that is done through having the new name So the brothers come down they bow down to Yosef Yosef stands his ground in terms of not being willing to give the brothers unless they bring down their younger brother He holds them hostage. He sends them back with their money. The dialogue with Yaakov and Yaakov is despondent to think that he could lose another son. He sends Binyamin back down to Egypt. Yosef sees Binyamin and now that he sees Binyamin, it's his own brother from the same mother and father. He's never met and Yosef is uh, so so, uh, excited to see his brother but now he tests his other brothers. He was not from the same uh, mother as they and therefore felt maybe they did what they did because he wasn't from the same mother. They didn't feel the ultimate kinship and brotherhood because they were only half-siblings. So he takes another one of their half-siblings, namely his whole brother, and says, let's see if you abandon him the way you abandoned me. This all is an exercise, the test in their loyalty to see whether they have learned the lesson. He holds on to Binyamin, then accuses Binyamin of being a thief and... That's where we end. Whether Yehuda is going to speak up, Yehuda is going to assert himself. We leave our Parsha as a cliffhanger, just as last week's was as well. Whether Yehuda will assert himself to be that leader, to stand up to his brother, to have learned the lesson. Okay? So that's all just an overview to give a context of the narrative of the Parsha. What I want to, according to my calculations, we last left off last year. We were up to Shlishi. Okay, I had us in the same place. That's good. I had us in the same place. We were up to uh, Shlishi. So this is very fascinating what's going on over here. Paro shares the dreams. They summon Yosef to interpret them. Yosef, um, Yosef interprets the dreams successfully. And Paro is so wowed, he's so moved, he's so absolutely blown away by the interpretation of the dreams that immediately, immediately, he appoints Yosef to fulfill the very role that Yosef had proposed. Right? Yosef says, you're going to need somebody if you look in... Perak Memalaf Pasuk Lamed verse 33. Yosef says, V'yata paro v'chacham, mitzrayim. Look, here's what's going to happen. He interprets the dream. You're going to have fat years, then years of plenty, then you're going to have thin years. You need to save in the thin years for the fat years. And you need to appoint someone. You need to appoint somebody who is smart, who is discerning, who is wise, and they can supervise, they can oversee. Let him be in charge of the entire land. So paro, here's his entire dream interpretation. Let's go back a few p'sukim to Lamad Zayim, right before Shlishi. Paro is satisfied. He's moved by Yosef's interpretation. So he turns to his servants and he says, Have you ever seen a man who has the Spirit of God endowed upon him to such an extent? Now, we don't have the time, but this in itself is worthy of, of comment. Yosef puts Paro through an incredible transformation. Look at Yosef's impact. Yosef is, is doing outreach. Inspire yourself to inspire others. How does he do it? He's summoned from the pit. He has an audience with the most powerful man in the world, the head of the of the strongest empire in the world on the globe. And how does he do it? How does he convert Paro, an idolater and pagan? I won't say convert him, but how does he influence and inspire him to be able to use this language, Isha Sheruach Elo Kimbo? Does he... Does he uh, have an overt, explicit lesson in theology? Does he confront Paro's paganism? Does he teach him Divrei Torah? No, none of the above. How does Yosef do it? In a very subtle and nuanced fashion, and therefore highly successful. What does Yosef do? Every word that Yosef utters, he sleeps, slips in. Baruch Hashem, Be'ezrus Hashem, Mirza Hashem. He sounds like a girl who just got back from mechalalah. He sounds like a girl who just got back from seminar. That's Yosef, right? In, in fact, in next week's parsha, Rashi notes this: that he has he has shem um, hashem shkura The name of God is is attached to Yosef's lips. It's hanging off his lips all the time, right? What, I'm looking for the psukim uh, here where Yosef says it. Vayan Yosef al paro is paro le-Mor. It's not me, I'm not the one who interprets. It's not me, it's God. God threw me, I'm an instrument. And he begins the interpretation. But over and over again, Your two dreams, they're really one. What God's going to do, He's letting you know through this dream. And then he continues. And then again he tells him, He tells him again. And then again after the interpretation, he tells him again, Over and over again, Yosef has this incredible strategy in a very subtle way of mentioning God. Please God, thank God with God's help, if God allows and by doing such he, you watch Paro's transformation to the extent that when Paro now reacts to Yosef what does he say? He turns to his, his servants his cabinet he says have you ever seen a man so endowed with godliness with the spirit of God? So Paro says to Yosef After you have informed me of all of this it is clear to me there is no one as wise and as discerning as you. as you. What's the difference between being Navon and Chacham? What's the difference? The root of Navon is Bina. It's the same thing as Bina. <laughs> <laughs> Chacham is Chachma. What's the difference between Bina and Chachma? We say in Atachonin L'Adam Da'as. <laughs> we ask God for wisdom. <laughs> Bina. Bina. <laughs> What's the difference between bina and Chachma? So the Rashbam, Rav Shmuel ben Meir, Rashi's grandson here, writes: Navon mevin atidos, Asidos, Mevin is the capacity to see the future. It's the capacity to anticipate, to extrapolate, to deduce, to analyze, and to anticipate. What is that? Bina. Or bina. bina. That's bina. Navon, okay. which by the way makes sense. Because who is given bina yasera? Who is endowed which population is endowed with a greater bina, a greater capacity to be navon? Which population? No one knows? Don't make me popular to say this. Whoa. Women. <laughs> women. The Gemara says, Bina Isha, yosim Bish, Women were given Bina Yaseira. How do you know that? Because the Pasak says in Braheshas, Vajivana Satzelah. <laughs> When it says God fashioned woman from man, it says Vayivan. It could have said Vayivra, Vayitzer, God created, God um, formed. It doesn't. It says Vaivan, He built. But it's not a coincidence. It uses that verb Vayivan. To build, says the Gemara. Bini Yisera. From here we know that women have Bini Yisera. They have a greater sixth sense. They have a greater capacity to... To, to, to feel an intuition, an anticipation. And the Gemara records, if a woman a man walks into the home, a husband brings home a guest, and the woman says, there's something suspicious about him, I have a bad feeling about him. That we have to follow the intuition of the woman. This is a woman's attribute, a woman's quality, a bina yisera. Why do I mention it? It perf- works perfectly with the Rashbam. Ro'e Hanolad. Which is the holiday that women were given... As a reward for not participating in the Chayta Egal. We'll celebrate this Thursday night and Friday. Women refrain from donating their jewelry to the Egal Hazav, to the golden calf. And the Medrash says that, you know, each of the holidays, Pesach is Avraham and Sukkot is... Each of the holidays corresponds with a different one of the Avos. And we have, who got Rosh Chodesh? Women. Why? The Nashim Tzidkaniyas, women. Why Rosh Chodesh? Is it arbitrary? And in fact, it's quoted in Shulchan Aruch, women should not do work on Rosh Chodesh. Not Isra Malacha in terms of the thirty-nine free of labors, but a woman shouldn't do laundry, a woman doesn't have to cook dinner. Rosh Chodesh, one or two nights a month, a husband has to take her out for dinner, or buy takeout, or even worse, he has to cook himself. <laughs> right? But she has off. It's quoted in Shulchan Aruch. It's brought down in Shulchan Aruch. She has off. Women, women celebrate Rosh Chodesh. Why? What is Rosh Chodesh? How big is the moon on Rosh Chodesh? It's very very counterintuitive. I would think we celebrate the new moon. I would think we celebrate the moon when it's full—a big, beautiful, glowing, reflective moon. That's when we should celebrate Rosh Chodesh. Look in the sky Thursday night, Rosh Chodesh Teves, and you'll see the moon is a sliver. It's its smallest. Because what is Rosh Chodesh after all? Celebration. And why why are the Jewish people likened to the moon? Because the moon waxes and wanes, the moon grows larger and smaller. And when do we celebrate Rosh Chodesh? When the moon is its smallest, as a sliver, barely discernible. We express our faith with great anticipation that it will grow full once again. Who has that capacity to see not what is immediately in front of them, but to see beyond what is going to come? Women. And what is that quality? Bini Yisera. So Rosh Chodesh is the holiday of women because it's the holiday of being roa Es seeing into the future anticipating what is to come having faith that things will be better women were the ones we don't have time for this but women were the ones who used their mirrors to beautify themselves in order to seduce their husbands when their husbands withdrew and said in Egypt slavery, servitude, suffering we're not having children we're not bringing kids into this crazy world are you out of your mind? we're going to bring children into this harsh world? women said relax harsh right now but there will be a brighter future the Jewish people will rise once again will grow full once again like the moon let's have children the world will be better for those children and we should bring children into this world and they were rewarded those very mirrors that they used to beautify themselves became the basis of the Kiyor of the base in the Quran and would wash themselves in anticipation of the why? because women are Roah Esanolad when men said no children in the world it's a terrible world they said the world will be better let's have children when they said, we give up hope in Mitzrayim, the women gave up hope. When they said, Moshe didn't come back down, that's it, it's the end of the world as we know it, they said, relax, Moshe's going to come back, we know the future, relax, we have emuna. They didn't give their jewelry to the Egil. And therefore the rewarder with Rosh Chodesh, which is all about Roa Esha Nolad. So here, Navon V'chacham Kamochah, Paro tells Yosef, you are a Navon, you have this feminine quality of being a Navon, of having Bina, The ability to discern, to analyze, to anticipate. Says the Rashbam, You understand the future. You see what's... right. Everyone else says, Oh, it's years of plenty? Let's live high on the hog. We're going to get a fancy new car and a beautiful new house and spend all our money and go on luxurious vacations. Yosef says, You know what? These are years of plenty. You know what we're going to do? We're going to save. Because they will likely be followed by years of famine. So that's Navon. What's Chacham. He gathered wisdom from that which he saw and he heard. E'ezul Chacham says the Mishnah in Pirkei Who is wise? That's not... That's one? E'ezul Chacham. me Mikol Adam. Someone who learns from everyone. What does it mean to... So wisdom, wisdom is not your IQ. Wisdom is not a function of your IQ and wisdom is not a function of your memory. The Jewish definition of wisdom is your ability to listen, to learn from others. Humility to understand that there's something to learn from everybody. The wise person has the capacity to learn from others. Wisdom is not a function of IQ, it's not a function of memory. Says the Rashbam, he gathered wisdom in mashirah Vishama, that which he saw and that which he heard. Yosef's sitting in prison. Yosef's working. Yosef's in the... pit, Wherever he is, he's listening. And that's wisdom. That's wisdom. So power turns to Yosef and he says, Ein navon v'chacham kamocha. You just interpreted the whole dream. And you told me that what do I need? Somebody who has? Bina and chachma. Well, guess what? I think I found my man. <laughs> Ein navon v'chacham kamocha. And that's what Rashi points out. ish navon v'chacham sh'amarta, kamocha. <laughs> You told me I need to find someone who's navon v'chacham? I think I just found my man. There's no one like you. It says the Sifseh Chachamim, the super commentary on Rashi. Why did Paro make this comment? There's no one navon v'chacham kamocha. Why did he say that? If he came to offer a compliment to Yosef, why is he complimenting him in front of him? We know You don't. You don't give a compliment. You don't want to... You don't want to build someone's ego up too much. Why didn't he compliment Yosef already when he interpreted the dream? When he told him, I'm sorry, the dream. He should have said, I heard your Navon, I heard your Vachacham, I've brought you up, here's my dream interpreter. Why now? Yipao is not interjecting this comment now to flatter Yosef. He's not telling Yosef, we want to honor you at the dinner because navon v'chacham kamocha. it's in the context of, hey Yosef, you interpreted my dream and said, I need someone navon v'chacham. well guess what? Navon v'chacham kamocha, you are the man. And therefore, Next pasuk, Because you are that man, and because I subscribe to your interpretation of the dream, therefore, therefore, you will be in charge of my palace, and alpicha, through your mouth, through your command, through your instruction, Yishak kol ami. What do those words mean? Yishak kol ami. What is Yishak. Oh, so we'll get to it in a moment. Only my throne will be greater than you. In other words, you're number two. There's only one authority above you and that's me. I'm immediately catapulting you from a, a prisoner enslaved in the dungeon. You're now the viceroy, the vice president. You are number two to the emperor. You are in charge of my home. What is Yishak? Alpiha through your mouth, Yishak. So Rashi says Yishak means Yitzan Yispernes Called Tzarchei Ami Yun Yishak means to sustain. To sustain. Through you, you will sustain my whole country. Where does Rashi know this from? He quotes a Pasuk earlier. Eliezer is described as Ben Mesek Besi. Now, there, some interpret Ben-Damasek, Damascus, that Eliezer was from Damascus. But Rashi interprets it, ben Mesek means Yis Parnes, you're in charge of my parnasa. you're in charge of my estate. This was Paro's way of saying, Apicha, Yishak Kolami, you're in charge of the estate, you're in charge, you're the treasurer's secretary, you're in charge of the treasury of our country. That's how Rashi interprets it. Look at uh, the Rashbam. the Rashbam Rashi's grandson, says, no, Yishak, Yizdarzu bekleikarav al milchama latseis al haivim lashon ir mitzar vehaneshek noshkei rome keses. What's a neshek? Is a a weapon. It means that you have military authority. That's how the Rashbam interprets it. The Ibn Ezra gives a third interpretation. Yesh omrem shehu Migzeras nishika like a kiss. B'derekh rechoka. And if you look at the Aviezer, a super commentator, On the Ibn Ezra, he explains if somebody has pity and compassion on his people like a father does on a son that is described through the affectionate description of a kiss a father gives a kiss on the kepi of the child cares about the child so when a ruler when an official cares about his people like a father cares about a child that's called a neshika. that's giving a kiss on their kepi so we have three interpretations of what V'yalpicha Yishak Kol ame. Rashi said Yishak is like Damasak means Yisparnes, it means sustain, means to be in charge of the estate. The Rashbam said no, it means like Neshak. And the Ibn Ezra quotes an interpretation it means Neshika. Neshika, like a kiss. So Paro has this incredible reaction to, to Yosef. Now if you think about it for a moment, it's actually somewhat, somewhat startling. It's somewhat startling, because Paro Yosef did something amazingly brazen. He did something amazingly presumptuous, and that is, he didn't just interpret Paro's dream. What else does he do? He gives him a solution. He tells him, "Here is what your dream means: thin cows, fat cows. They're gonna thin. They're gonna swallow the fat. You're gonna have years of famine, years of plenty. Shine. What he should have done, he's talking to the most powerful man in the world, he's a lowly slave who's just been taken out of prison, he's been free for all of 15 seconds, he should have left it at that, he interpreted the dream and that's it, what does he do? Something brazen, presumptuous and arguably stupid. He now counsels the ruler of the most powerful nation on earth, what he should do. Are you crazy? A slave who has been thrown in the pit, who never worked a day in his life, and you're going to tell Parah what he should do? You weren't brought here to tell him what to do. You weren't brought here to be a member of the cabinet. You were brought here to interpret the dream. Was he crazy? What is he doing? And how is Paro? Why is Paro accept it? Where did Yosef get the self confidence to communicate it? And why does Paro accept it so readily? He accepts it without hesitation at all. So here's something very fascinating. Very fascinating. Yosef did something that none of the other interpreters, interpreters do and maybe this is what predisposed Paro to accept it everybody else brought Paro see because the Medrash says by the way Rashi even quotes us that that Yosef was not the only one to interpret the dream this way there were others who interpreted the dream this way but Paro accepted it from Yosef not from everyone else why? so think about it everyone else brought Paro a problem Yosef was the only one who accompanied it with a solution. 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 We all can see problems. Seeing problems is easy. It's easy when people see problems. right? I have people tell me all the time, I want to tell you about something you may not have heard of, Rabbi, it's called the tuition crisis. Shkayach, thank you. Rabbi, I want to tell you that we should have a lavish kiddush in the shul every Shabbos, even though there's 1,500 to 2,000 people who eat it. And if you do the math, if you had at $3 a person, what that would cost... But we should have a kiddush every Shabbos. It's up. enough. Thank you. I have people bring me problems every day. Rare indeed is the individual who says, you know, Rabbi, I've identified a problem, but I'd like to propose this solution. And I'm ready to work on it. Pau distinguished himself from the others. I'm sorry, Yosef distinguished himself from the others. Because not only did he bring Paro a problem, not only did he bring Paro an issue, he brought him a solution. He didn't just come with criticism. He came with a way out, a resolution. He brought a solution. And maybe that's why Paro was enamored. Because as a leader, it's frustrating to hear people bring problems all day long. Paro understood that Yosef's interpretation maybe had truth because it was coupled with a solution. It was coupled with a solution. And I think that's a good policy, by the way. It's a good policy of the shul to have. You can only bring a problem if you have a solution. <laughs> you want to write a letter, you want to speak to the rabbi, the president, your homeowners association, you're going to go to the president, of your homeowners, whoever you're going to complain to, you're only entitled to complain if you have a solution to propose. If you have no solution, you're only offering or issuing a complaint. It doesn't mean we'll listen to your solution, and it doesn't mean there aren't other solutions out there also. But if you haven't even put in the time to think about a solution, the energy... And don't come with your problem. <laughs> Maybe that's one answer. But there's another suggestion. On Shabbos of Parshas Miketz 1973, the Lubavitcher Rebbe Zatzal offered the following solution. He offered the following solution. Why? why he was answering this question. Why did, why did Yosef say you need someone who is chacham v'navon? Navon v'chacham. Wise and analytical, understanding, perceptive. Why? That's not the qualities that he needed. If you're going to have years of plenty followed by years of famine, what do you need? You need someone with great organizational administrative skills. You don't need somebody who's brilliant, you don't need somebody who's insightful. You don't think of your accountant necessarily, I hope I'm not insulting accounts here, I shouldn't say this, but you don't necessarily think of, the accountant doesn't have to be brilliant in terms of their insight, their bina, and they don't even have to be chacham, they don't have to have mass, broad knowledge of culture they have to be able to sit and crunch numbers, they have to be thorough, they have to follow through, they have to be exacting, they have to minimize, eliminate mistakes. That's what you need. Why do you need someone who's navon v'chacham? So, Lubavitcher Rebbe proposed the following answer. In Powell's first dream, he saw seven ugly and lean cows that came after the seven fat and handsome cows. And he saw them at one point they stood next to each other. Asfasa Yaor. Fat cows and thin cows. There was a moment that both sets of cows coexisted simultaneously. And only after that, the Torah goes on. Parash dream says, the thin cows eat the fat cows. Now that detail in the dream is very complicated. And it's actually exactly what threw off the other wise men of Egypt to reject the interpretation that Yosef would ultimately offer. Why? Because if you understand the thin years mean famine, and you understand the fat cows mean plenty, how could famine and plenty coexist? How could you have famine and plenty at the same time? Could you have a recession and a boon at the same time? How's that possible? So the other, the chartumim, the other, the other interpreters dropped that interpretation because that aspect, that detail of Paro's dream, that the thin cows and fat cows stood together for a moment it undermined the entire interpretation. Because how could you have famine and plenty at the same time? You follow? Mm -hmm. Yosef understood that it's possible. This was the Rebbe's understanding. Brilliant. How is it possible to have famine and plenty at the same time? If during the years of plenty you saved for the famine, you've preserved the plenty during the famine, they coexist, they're there at the same time. It was brilliant. So Yosef wasn't giving paro, he wasn't being brazen, presumptuous, assertive to give Paro advice, that was part of the interpretation itself because that was the detail Paro offered. If Paro just said, I had a dream, there were fat cows, then there were thin cows, the thin cows ate the fat cows, but he said they stood together simultaneously. How did Yosef interpret that detail? He interpreted it to mean save during the years of plenty for the years of famine. So it wasn't brazenness or presumptuousness, it was interpretation itself and it predisposed Paro to accepting it. To accepting it. It's a very powerful lesson for us is to understand that the, the blessing, the years of plenty and the years of famine of the different aspects of our lives could exist simultaneously if we hold on to them. If you forget the years of plenty when the year of famine comes, spiritually, emotionally, socially, then you're done. But if you hold on to Figuratively or literally, then you can have them simultaneously. It's possible for them to coexist. So it's very—it's an interesting, I think—it's an interesting shot of the Rebbe that Yosef was not being brazen. Yosef was interpreting a part of the dream that all others had failed to do, and Paro accepted it because it was so compelling, given that it given that it explained that detail of the dream. Okay, let's go weiter. I think it was also really in another sense. Yes. duties, job Right. He said, Yeah. Immediately many of his ministers nodded their heads. Each one thought he would be the one. He's a Ah, oh, exactly. Say, like like, like in the, in the Exactly. Right, right. But it also answers, coming back to Labar answer, why did therefore he suggest Navon v'chacham? Because if you just interpret the dream as accounting, so you just need to be thorough, but if you interpret excuse me, the dream as also being insightful, having anticipation, saving then you need somebody who is able to analyze, who is able to interpret who is able to have some, some analysis ok, weiter Pasuk Yosef. so now we continue so Yosef has dazzled Paro Paro responds and turn and says, you're that n'avon that you suggest I need I'm appointing you I'm appointing you viceroy. Atati you'll be in charge of my home. See, I'm placing you over all of Egypt. What's startling about this pasuk? Jumped out at me. Anything jump out at you here? Okay, so that's part of the miracle Richard points out he's within minutes or hours of coming out of jail of being a lowly prisoner and, and the next thing you know he's given the keys to the kingdom he's the treasurer he can sign the biggest check that's, that's incredible but there's something about the text about the pasuk itself do these words bother you and tell me why maybe because God is putting something What's anyway. well, happening right before vayomir paro or Yosef? This Pasak Mem the pasuk continues, mem Alvin says, Paro said to Yosef, what was happening right beforehand? Paro was talking to Yosef. They're in the middle of a conversation. Paro <makes> Paro says to Yosef, after you've interpreted this, I see that you're n'avon I'm putting you in charge of my whole home. Paro So Paro says to Yosef, Rei, look, I'm placing you in charge of my entire. Aren't they in the middle of a whole conversation? What do you mean, Rei? Nasat. What do you mean, va'yomer Paro Yosef? Paro says to Yosef. Yosef to <laughs> oh, so I think you can interpret differently. Not that he wasn't listening, but there was a pregnant pause. Paro is waiting for Yosef to react. Rak haki Mecca, I'm appointing you. Only one above you will be me. Pause. He's just told Yosef, you just won the lottery, buddy. You've just hit the nail on the head. Ten minutes ago, you were in prison with no future. And I've just pointed you number two in the kingdom. And what's Yosef's response? Utter silence. Yosef's response is utter Silence. Now, we don't know the nature of that silence. Is Yosef silent because he doesn't believe it? Is Yosef silent because he has nothing to say? Is Yosef silent because he's so humbled that he's uncomfortable by being praised? We don't know the nature of the silence, but we know that Yosef is silent. By Yomer Paro El Yosef. Paro then continues to talk in the face of Yosef's silence. His absence of talk. Just hold off because we're going to run out of time. So that, that jumped out to me from the puzzle So Paro continues because Yosef is silent and he tells him, He takes off his ring from his hand. He places on Yosef. Big zahav he takes off the ring from his hand. He puts it on Yosef's hand. He dresses him in garments of fine linen. He puts a gold chain on Yosef's neck. What is this reminiscent of? What's its significance says Rashi When the king takes off his ring And puts it on someone else's finger That's how he bestows power To that individual to say They're number two to Gedula They are number two in the kingdom Hold off, hold off, hold off. The Ramban also echoes this. Vayasa Paro, Nisina Tabas, verse Rashi, and the Ramban continues, the ring of the king, is his signet. It's his signature. If you're learning the Daf Yomi, in the last parak, in the, in the Daf that we've been doing, we spent a lot of time on rings with a signet, a ring without a signet. Men wear what women wear, going out without an Erev. Is it carrying? Is it not carrying? So here we're told, the king wears a ring with his signet. It's a stamp. As the pasuk says in Esther, what? It's not just symbolic. For Rashi, it's symbolic. The king takes a ring off his finger, puts it on someone else's finger. For Rashi, it's a symbolic gesture. Ramban says it's not symbolic. There's something functional here. It's pragmatic. This ring has a stamp, and it's the ability to stamp into law all kinds of legislation. Taxes, legislation, laws. He's empowering him much more than just being something which is symbolic. Continuing, Pasuk Mem Gimel. Pasig Mem Gimel says, He had him ride in his second royal chariot. In other words, go fly on Air Force One and uh, the, the world will know who you are and as they rode him on this horse on this chariot they called before him Avreich we'll see what that means and thus through that they appointed him over all of Eretz Mitzrayim what do you mean through that they appointed him so then before Shemir explain that the inauguration the installation of Yosef was in a very public way that's how you installed someone Think about the inauguration of the installation today takes place on TV. Everyone's watching. You're watching as they raise their hand and swearing and celebrating. Then you couldn't broadcast. The way you broadcast was saying, get in this chariot, we're going to walk you through the streets and call before you Avreich. Everyone will see the royal clothing you're wearing. Everyone will see the ring that you're wearing on your finger. So as they rode him in this chariot, reminiscent again of Mordechai, Uh, as they rode him in this chariot, they called before him this name, Avrich. What's an Avrich? Why are they calling him Avrich? So Rashi here interprets Melach. In In Aramaic, the word Rach means king. So Avrich means the father of the king. It means that you have power. It means a friend of the king. As the Sif writes, Chover Lamelech. <laughs> it's a friend of the king. You have access to the king. So next Rashi quotes, Agada, Yehuda, Ze The word Avrech is a composite of two words, Av and Rach. Av meaning, Yosef, you're like a father in the wisdom that you have but you're rach in your shanim you're young in your years how old was Yosef? Possible will say in a moment he was 30 yeah. you're so young to have this position you're an avreich you're av you're, you're like a, uh, you're like a zayda in your, in your wisdom but you're rach you're soft you're young in your years that's number two how long will you distort the verses it's pretty harsh trash talk but Rabbi Yossi disagrees with Rabbi Yehuda. He says, That's not what Avreich means. Av bechach merach b'shanim. ein Avreich hayu nechnasim lafanav tachas yado. osom. Avreich comes from birkayim. What does birkayim come from? To bow down. That everyone who came before him bow down to him. He was in such a power. He was in such a position of power. So Rashi quotes three interpretations as, as they parade Yosef through the street, because he's attained this new position, they call him Avrech. First understanding Avrech is Lashan Arami Rach means Melech. He's Av, Melach. he's a hover of the Melech. He has access to the king. Next pshat, Rabbi Yehuda was, Av B'Chochma, Rach b'shanim, Wise in, in, in uh, like a father who's wise, but young in years. And number three, Avrech is Lashon Berkayim, that they bow down to him the Ibn Ezra also has an interpretation kol adam kore lefanov echrav eshtachaveh za'amilam ibn yanakav anosav means Avrekh, everyone calls before him Avrekh. I will bow down to you avrech, I will bow down to you that's how the Ibn Ezra interprets it and the Sepharono says similarly, you can look at the Sepharono ok, continuing vayomer posig memdalif Yosef now they, they return from the installation ceremony, and Paro re- resumes his conversation. Paro says to Yosef, "Ani Paro, I am Paro And without you, no one will as much raise their hand or their foot in all of Egypt. I am Paro." And Rashi says, "Did Yosef not know who Paro was at this point?" He needed to be told who Paro was. He didn't recognize him after everything. What is Ani Paro? Says Rashi. Because I'm Paro, I can confidently declare No one can so much as raise their hand without you. Without your permission. And that's why he, he introduces it, Ani Paro. Now Paro gives Yosef a new name and Paro gives Yosef a wife her name is Osnas the daughter of Potifera Koinon Yosef now goes out on all of Mitzrayim ok so much to talk about here number one Paro gives Yosef a new name Tzofnas Paneach what does that name mean? first of all why did he give him a new name? the Rashbam. look at Rashbam, Shmuel ben Meir why did he give him a new name? When a person was ascended to a new position of stature, of prominence, of prestige, of power, they were given a new name to reflect their new position. We see that often, he says. When Hosea ascends to be Moshe's number two, he's given a new name? Yehoshua. He also gets a new name. So we see when someone ascends to a position of prominence, they get a new name. And that's why Paro, to declare Yosef's new position, he's no longer that slave known as Yosef. He's the viceroy, known as Sofnas Panech. But what does the name mean? Rashi says, Tzofnas <laughs> Paneach means the one who reveals that which is hidden. Yosef interprets dreams. He is the one who reveals. Ein dimyon We don't find this language anywhere else. He is the one who reveals dreams. The Ibn Ezra disagrees. Says the Ibn Ezra, "Imzumila zumi perusha. If Tzofnas Paneach is an Egyptian word, I don't know what it means. Vimi gemas lo Yosef. And if it's translation, we have no idea what it means. So the Ibn Ezra says, we're at a loss. No idea what it means. But anyway, he's called Tzofnas Panech, number one. Number two, Paro says, it's pasnish for you to be my number two and to not have a wife. So I'm giving you a woman. Her name is Osnas. And you may be familiar with your father-in-law. You may remember him. You've met him before. His name is Potifera. Says Rashi, Potipharah, who Potiphar. You remember you were in charge of his estate? You remember he had a pretty wife, your mother-in-law? Yeah, you're back with your (laughs) mother-in-law. You remember your mother-in-law tried to seduce you and you almost gave in and you ran out and she falsely accused you of raping her and you were in prison to begin with? Well, you may recognize your mother-in-law. So why if it's the same Potiphar... Why does the Torah now introduce him as Potifera instead of Potifar? How did he have a name change? Says Rashi, Nikra Potifera Ashenistares me'ilav. He became a sris, he became, um, what's the term? Unic. A eunuch. Unic. He became a eunuch. Yosef And why did God make him a eunuch? Why did he suffer some illness that left him impotent, that left him a eunuch? Because it wasn't, this is unbelievable. Imagine this work environment. The lawsuits Yosef could have brought if he lived today. Not only was Mrs. Potiphar after Yosef, Potiphar was trying to seduce Yosef. Potiphar was homosexual and he was trying to seduce (laughs) Yosef. Sexual uh, sexual harassment from both his employers, the husband and the wife. And as a result, God punished him. As a result, God punished him. Ah, you'll ask, says the Sifsei Chachamim. You'll ask that. When it says earlier, When Mrs. Potiphar turns to Potiphar and says, Like the things we're doing is what your servant Yosef tried to do. And Rashi there says, That it was while they were in an act of intimacy that Mrs. Potiphar reveals to Potiphar what we're doing your servant Yosef tried to do, and that's what led to his imprisonment. So they ask the Sesev How can you tell me Potiphar is gay. So Yeshlam Ardelohaiyah Right, you could have answered today's day and age. You would say he was bisexual. That's not what the Sifsei Chachamim says. He says he wasn't really intimate with her. He was just. He wasn't fully intimate with her. He was somewhat intimate with her. And in that context, he was saying, "What we're doing is what is what uh, Yosef tried to do." But in any case, imagine this. This is Yosef's wife, the daughter of. Yosef was hit on by both his father in law and mother in law, and then it's their daughter that he now marries. It's a great story. What? It says before Potiphar was Saratabakhim and he was hung. No. Well, it may. It may. So hold on. So Rashi says Potipharah is. It's the same Potiphar. Comes along Rashi's grandson, and look what Rashi's grandson says. The Rashbam. Mm. Ainzu Potiphar, Lafiyap Shat. Yeah. Who's, it's a little shtoch <laughs> against Zayda? Zayda says who's Potiphar? Potiphar yeah. the Grand Einikel says nah, according to the Pshat there's no way this is Potiphar He doesn't tell us who it is it's just it's someone else Yosef married Osnas the daughter of someone else Potiphar who he had never met before and what does it mean Kohi know? Sar Shal was the the officer appointed to a particular city where Osnas came from that he ultimately married Okay, so Yosef gets married. He has a new name, Tzofnas Paneach. He's declared Avreich, paraded through the street. Paro gives him a wife, Asnas. She's the daughter of the same Potiphar or Potiphar as someone new. Vayetze Yosef al Eretz Mitzrayim. Yosef now goes out on Eretz Mitzrayim. He's 30 years old when this whole thing goes down. Yosef takes leave of Paro and he passes all of Mitzrayim. Why is he passing over all of Mitraim? Because it's a new power trip. He's a new power play because he's number two. No, he's surveying. It says the Orachayim HaKadosh. Perush L'adas now he's got to implement his whole, his whole plan. He has to see the field, take in accounting, what's coming in, where are they going to store it, how will we allocate it, how will we disperse it. So he goes out, not on some parade of a power trip, but he goes out in a very practical way to figure out how to implement the Earth to Sheva Shnei, similar and these seven years. During these uh, seven years, um the Earth produces an abundance of crop. Like both is called Ocha Sheva Shnei, Asher Yuber Eitz Mitzaim, Veiten Ocha Berim, Ocha Stei Eir He gathers all the food of the seven years in the land of Egypt. He puts it all into cities. And the food of the field around each city he puts in that city Yosef takes grain like the sand of the sea that's how much it is he can't even account for all the years of plenty all the food coming in because it's so great because it is so great okay good there's a lot to say in this but I want to finish this Aliyah now, pasuk nun, Ul Yosef shne banim Tavoshna Yosef had two sons during the years of plenty, before the years of famine came. Asher yolda lo osnas Pas Potifera ko'inon, who was born for him through osnas, the daughter of Potifar ko'inon, his wife. So there's a number of things. Why does it say b'terem tavosh nas why didn't it say he had these children in the years of plenty? Why does it say he had these children before the years of famine? Rashi says, "Mikansha We see from here that it's forbidden to have intimacy during the years of famine. It's inappropriate to enjoy intimacy when there's suffering. Noach and his, Noach and his children, his wife and his children, when they get on the teva, they refrain, they abstain. Because abstinence is appropriate when others are suffering that's the argument Uriah makes to David he comes home from war and David wants him to be with Bacheva so they'll think it's his child Uriah says my, my, my comrades are at war and I'm going to be home and be intimate it's not appropriate and this Salachah is deduced here sarav, Yosef had these children Davka, and only before the years of famine began the Kliyakar by the way notes from here we don't have time to look at it inside he has two sons Shnei Banim so, Kliyakar wants to deduce from here a hint to the position of Beishamai we know there's machlokus in the Mishnah in Yevamos. Well, how are you Yotzei Pru Revu? Beishamai says two sons Basil will say you need a son and a daughter to be Yotzei the mitzvah so maybe this is a hint to the position of Beishamai that Yosef had two sons and hints to the idea that he was Yotzei Pru revu. look at the Kliyakar inside, we don't have time what I want to look at is the names that he gives the sons by the way, there's an extra word in Pasuk Nun which word seems extraneous? Yosef Yolot had two sons before the famine. Asher Yalda Lo. It should have said Asher Yalda Asnas Bas That Asnas gave birth to. Why Asher Yalda Lo? She gave birth to for him. For whom? For Yosef. Rafersh has a great interpretation. Rafersh says, Asnas grows up in the suburbs of Mitzrayim. She grows up in an environment of paganism, idolatry, licentiousness, lasciviousness. She grows up in a lewd, disgusting, decadent society. Yosef grows up. Who's his father? Who's his rebbe? Yaakov. Who are these children going to take after? She concedes to him, and therefore Yaldah Lo. She gives birth to these children, Yaldah Lo, in the spirit according to the values of... Yosef says Ruf beautiful Yosef gives names but okay Yosef gives names <speaking in Hebrew> the elder son he names Menashe and how does he get that name? why is he called Menashe? Ki Nashani as Eskol Amali Avi because God he called him Menashe God has made me forget all of my hardship and all of my father's household Shema Hashem Ephraim and the next name is Ephraim because God made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Like Pru, Pru God made me fruitful in the land of my, of my suffering. Now, this name of Menasha is a very peculiar name. Isn't it a strange name? God caused me to forget, as Kolbe Savi, caused me to forget my father's whole household. Yosef Hatzadik, this righteous individual. How could he want to forget? He forgets his father's household. He wants to forget Yaakov. Is this a coping mechanism? Is he simply hardened to his new reality? And is he bitter? How could Yosef, who was so close with his father, how could he possibly rise to greatness and so rapidly forget not only his family, but name his son, I have forgotten my whole family. Is he so crass? So insensitive? So callous? How could he do it? So there's a number of suggestions which are offered. So first of all, it seems to me, it seems to me that if you name your oldest son, his name is, I have forgotten my family, it means one thing. You've not forgotten your family. And you don't want to. But, number, but furthermore, moreover, the Akedah suggests... Yosef doesn't mean to say I've literally forgotten them. What Yosef is saying is, I am choosing to employ selective memory. I'm looking back on my childhood with nostalgia and goodwill. I have forgotten the animosity, the conflict, the enmity. I'm only remembering the good times. <laughs> Hashem has allowed me to forget the hardship And he's allowed me to remember only the good. But Rav Hirsch has an altogether different approach. Rav Hirsch says, and this is incredible, he says, Dashani is from the Lashon, is from the Lashon, Noshe. Where does the Torah use the Lashon, Noshe? In the laws of Shemitah. To be a Noshe means to be a creditor. It refers to debt. Yosef celebrates the birth of his son as he enjoys a position of great prominence in the strongest empire in the world and as he reflects back on what brought him there he says God made my misfortunes and my family into creditors in other words I am indebted to my misfortunes because they brought me here What an unbelievable attitude. Yosef looks back and says, I'm not happy with what I went through. I wish I didn't have to go through what I went through. But had I not gone through what I went through, I never would be in the position I'm in now. So, He has turned my struggles into creditors. I am indebted to my struggles. Because my struggles have transformed and therefore, rather than be bitter and hurt and resentful, he feels his success and achievements despite his hardships. Not, I'm sorry, were not despite his hardships, but they were because of his hardships. He sees the goodness. I'll tell you a story just in closing, an unbelievable story that fits exactly into this. There's a story of a baseball player. You may remember him. His name was Louis Salazar. Louis Salazar was a major league infielder and then he was a minor league coach. Actually lives in Boca Raton, of all places. A couple years ago, he's coaching his minor league team and, um, and he's sitting in the dugout when uh, the ball is hit and a foul ball traveling over 100 miles an hour smacks Lou Salazar in the left eye. Makes a hideous sound, knocks him backwards down the dugout steps. He breaks his right arm when he falls, but that was the least of it. He's unconscious, he, can, he has a concussion, blood is pouring out of his nose, his mouth and his eye as he lays fast, face down in the dugout. A helicopter brings him to an Orlando trauma center, struggle, the players keep, struggle to keep it together. He regains consciousness in the hospital later at night and uh, it's an unbelievable story. And uh, we don't have time to tell you the whole thing, but basically, six days after he's hit, He loses his left eye. It's surgically removed and he concedes it was a tough day but he's more focused on thanking God he had come out of the ordeal relatively unscathed. So it's a few months later and Louis Salazar is able to return to coaching with a patch over his eye and a helmet. He's back in the dugout. It's an unbelievable story. The whole story is an unbelievable story but I want to share with you what he said at the end. He was interviewed in this article and he says the following, quote, quote, In a way, I see more now than I did with two eyes. I see friends, teammates I haven't spoken to in 25 years. I notice more around the ballpark. It may be crazy to say, but in some ways it's been a blessing. End quote. Right? I see more with one eye than I saw with two eyes. Because when he went through this ordeal and struggle... He was reached out to by so many friends and family and so on and so forth. So it's an incredible thing. Yosef says, We can look at the hardship and the suffering and if we see the blessing that comes from it, we become indebted to it. And maybe that's the miracle of Hanukkah. We light the Hanukkah candles not only for the light but to dispel the darkness. What does light do? When you illuminate the room, you can see things that were around you all along that you never noticed. So when we light the Hanukkah candles, we see the blessings that are all along us right now. So we're publicizing the miracle not only through the candle, but through everything else in the room that we haven't noticed until we, until we lit the candle. So this is a little if I had more time, I would have talked about how we bless our sons on Friday night not to be like Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, not to be like Moshe, David, and Shlomo, to be like these somewhat anonymous people, Menashe and Ephraim, they don't get a lot of play in the Chumash, and that's what we bless them to be like. So I'll tell you quickly, one reason suggested is Menasha and Ephraim are the first to grow up in Golis and to maintain the values nonetheless. Yitzchak is born in Eretz Yisrael. Yaakov is born in Eretz Yisrael. The Shiftei Ka are born in Eretz Yisrael. Menasha and Ephraim are born in a foreign land and yet they have Jewish values even in a foreign land. We, who are in Golas, we give a blessing to our children to retain the values even in a foreign land. But a second interpretation is, every generation was riddled in conflict until Menashe and Ephraim. Yitzchak and Yishmael didn't get along. Yaakov and Esav didn't get along. The Shvatim and Yosef didn't get along. It's only when you get to Menashe and Ephraim do we have two brothers who get along so beautifully, and that's our ultimate hope and dream for our children. We bless them that they should get along. They have love and loyalty and camaraderie and kinship and that's what it means to be like Menashe and Ephraim. I wish you all a wonderful Shabbos and a Frey Lecha